We have had Ian Stewart on the show, and most recently we had Professor Andre Duvenage talking to us about the first domestically built naval vessel and the status essentially of governance in this country in relation to transformation of people elected or charged with the transformation agenda of the country. We're now moving on to the Monday segment that concentrates always at this time on health. The hashtag health on Monday will be looking at now the conversation on thyroid being the conversation on Wednesday. World Thyroid Day takes place, and we are now in conversation with Dr. Sandeep Bana, who will talk to us about something which we don't often talk about but has a serious contribution to the quality of life we live or don't live. He's the head of endocrinology at Chris Aribanagwanath Hospital and a specialist in thyroid disease. Sandeep, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us on SAFM. Hi, good evening, Songezo, and thank you for having me on the show. I hasten to say the last time I would have heard the word thyroid would have been probably in my biology class, as the subject was then called in 2001-2002, standard nine matric years. I've never thought about it since. Perhaps let's go back to where I last left off in a way of bringing everybody into the conversation. What... Well, th- thyroid's obviously linked to the thyroid glands just below the adult okay. apple of everybody's neck. But just talk to us about the the value that gland or the thyroid itself is to the human body and what, if things go wrong there, can affect the rest of the body. So you're right. It's a good point to start back at our biology class. So the thyroid gland is a small butterfly-shaped gland uh, found in the neck, and it's an endocrine gland. That means it makes hormones, and the hormone it makes is called T4, and it controls the metabolism of the body. So basically, this thyroid hormone goes to every other tissue in the body, every other organ, and basically controls its metabolism. And so if the thyroid gland is working too slowly and not producing enough hormones, then we call this an underactive thyroid, and it can cause many symptoms, tiredness, fatigue, hair loss, a bit of weight gain, uh, dry skin, your pulse will go down, cold intolerant, sluggish bowels, fertility issues. Anyway, the list can go on. There's about 37 symptoms. And if one has an overactive thyroid where the gland is producing too much hormone, that's a bit easier to diagnose. Uh, the person will complain of palpitations, anxiety, tremors, excessive sweating, loss of weight, and heart rate that's shooting uh, above 100. Then one can think of an uh, overactive thyroid. Thyroids, many would perhaps mistake for mumps, in particular with children. And I don't imagine this is something you are engaging for the first time. Do you want to demystify such common misconceptions between the thyroid and mumps and what mumps are? These are two completely different conditions. So mumps is basically an infection uh, affecting um, the lymph nodes, whereas the thyroid gland is situated lower down in the neck, 
sits in front of the voice box and is working 24-7 secreting this hormone. Now, an underactive thyroid can be caused by an autoimmune condition where the body produces an army of cells that are attacking the thyroid gland. And mums is a virus that comes from outside and affects the glands and does not affect the thyroid. It's affecting other glands. Let's move the conversation on now. The fact that it would be World Thyroid Day on May 25, the significance of this receiving the sort of global and inter international platform as this one is, can you paint to us then why that is the case and frankly attend to the fact that the impact the thyroid has on the rest of the body and the secondary conditions it creates if it is not healthy, more particularly when the hormone is underproduced. So you're right. I mean, why are we giving this gland such importance? It's because the prevalence of an underactive thyroid gland can be anything from 4% uh, in some populations right up to 13% in other populations. So if you look in South Africa, we've got about 4% of the population having an undetected thyroid, and probably only 1% are diagnosed. So a lot of people are sitting with a condition that may not be diagnosed. And so this day is to bring awareness to people to say, think about the thyroid. And so that way we don't miss patients having this problem. Now, it has a big impact. I mean, an underactive thyroid, that start off in children, will affect their intellectual ability, it will affect their growth, it will affect their mental function. In adults, if an underactive thyroid is missed, um, one may be infertile, uh, one can have miscarriages. And then, of course, the other important issue is that the thyroid gain affects, I told you, the entire body's metabolism. So whether mm-hmm. it's a sluggish gut, bowel, whether there's a problem with the heart, uh, whether there's a problem with weight, whether there's an issue with hair loss or feeling uh, being cold intolerant, the symptoms just go on and on. But there isn't an organ in the body that doesn't get affected when the thyroid is underactive. And in fact, it can cause over 37 symptoms when one has an underactive thyroid. The next best thing then is for us to engage early detection. Everybody in the healthcare space will talk to you about prevention, if not prevention, early detection so that there can be early treatment in place. Can we then focus for the person at home sitting there engaging this conversation and now wondering to oneself, oh, could I, could it be that my thyroid is not producing or producing too many or too much of this hormone because they are feeling sluggish, they've got poor muscle tone, they've got a hoarse voice, whatever the case might be, whether or not yeah. is related, the question is how can one then engage this conversation from an early detection point of view? And that's it. a simple blood test. And so whether you've got a medical aid or you're going to see a private doctor, simple blood test can pick up whether the patient's over or underactive. And even the state, whether you're going to a clinic or a big hospital like the one I work at, at Paraguay Hospital, these blood tests are readily available and will tell you immediately whether the thyroid is normal, overactive, or underactive.
So certainly, if one has symptoms, if you've got a family history of an underactive thyroid or any of the conditions I mentioned earlier, certainly worth, worthwhile getting you detected. I would imagine this conversation is useful, particularly in the context of this, this last point you have raised. But you also mentioned something which has just triggered something within me. You mentioned that I do have medical aid. You're right, I do. The majority of South Africans do not. So we can almost count as negligible that South Africans actually do have ne- um, medical aid. So as majority of your clients and patients at Krizani Baragwanath would not have, how do we engage from a public health perspective related advocacy and communication points and methods to engage South Africans on a large scale about good health. We, I mean, we have a quadruple burden of disease in this country, and this is something which should be used, the platforms such as SAFM and related advocacy work to educate the, the, the nation. It is my view, though, not much of that is happening. So the next best thing is, and you're working in by a country mile, the biggest hospital in the country, how do we engage this question, not necessarily from the perspective of thyroidism, but just generally public health in the country? You know, that's an excellent question. One of the problems South Africa faces is that we've got so many issues. I mean, there's TB there, there's HIV there. Diabetes and obesity, one of the biggest epidemics in the world. I mean, our females in the top five categories in terms of world obesity. Uh, thyroid is so common. So all these chronic conditions are fighting for their space. I think what's important is at school level, uh, one needs to engage um, the youngsters in terms of preventative um, uh, methodologies. In terms of public health, we should be spending our health care on preventing conditions rather than managing the end results, which is normally very expensive. And then, of course, like the, like your platform, I mean, um, radio is accessible to most in South Africa. Um, TV platform, while it's not accessible to everybody, is uh, a good platform. And I would encourage producers of local series to try and get some of these conditions um, indirectly mentioned, and that really brings sensitivity to the topic, and uh, people will get it. But certainly the use of media becomes important here, whether it's billboard, whether it's press, whether it's radio, whether it's uh, TV. The message we need to get out there is that South Africa is a very, very unhealthy populist. And I've spent 30 years at Baragwana Hospital, and that's one of our issues. We've got too many lifestyle conditions, and we need to be starting somewhere. And education is what I think is important. I think uh, that's where we're missing out. South Africa is a very unhealthy nation. Those are the words of Dr. Sindeep Bana, who has worked for the last 30 years at Chris Ari Banagwanath Hospital. He's the head of endocrinology there and a specialist in thyroid disease. From what you've said, how then do we assess the risk factors? Now that we know, okay, sometimes information is good. It might not necessarily be good information, but the information itself and knowing it is good. How then do we engage the conversation from a risk factor perspective and engaging mitigation strategies so that whatever the statistics might read now, a year from now, a decade from now, a generation later, 
the health indicators are moving in the right way because health is an expensive enterprise in this country and an unhealthy nation means that more resources are spent attending to health care and particularly in this context treating lifestyle diseases which through lifestyle, healthy lifestyle can be mitigated. How do we move from there from a risk factor perspective? So, I mean, of course, we're moving away from the thyroid now based on the question. But, I mean, let me just set an example here. Yeah. So if we go to a period of denialism in this country in terms of whether HIV exists or not, and then we throw buckets of money at it, but we don't have an adequate program to follow up whether patients are going to be compliant on the treatment, and then we start having resistance to the drugs. Let's set the scene for TB. We've got one of the highest TB rates in the world. There's something called the DOT system, where direct observation of therapy. We start abandoning that. We then get known by the rest of the world for coming up with TB that is resistant to treatment. Then we get multi-drug resistant TB. Now we're sitting with an epidemic. So I mean, there's more people becoming diabetic in this world, there's more people dying of diabetes-related complications than TB, HIV, cancer, and road accidents put together, and malaria. Now, we should be, as a nation, concentrating on getting the national weight down. But over the last 10 years, we now have, we have one of the highest obesity rates in the world. And so the problem is we get maybe too late to start off with. So something needs to be done. I mean, a decade ago, the school curriculum, they were trying to get rid of PE. How can you get rid of PE? Mm. You need to be teaching mm. the youngsters to be active. We need more sporting facilities out there. We need access to getting the nation more active. In terms of sugar tax, it's taken so long for SEMSA and different organizations to get a sugar tax introduced because it's one way where the caloric intake is going to go down. In terms of salt, salt reduction, I mean, if you look at it, all the taste enhancers besides salt, aromat, there's other flavorants, beef stock, all of these things have so much salt. And so it's no wonder our population is sedentary, overweight, all the salt, all the sweet excesses, you're going to have obesity. With obesity is the shadow for type 2 diabetes, is where hypertension is going to be, is where dyslipidemia is going to uh, set in. Now, you take all of this problems of cholesterol, blood pressure, obesity, and diabetes, then you end up having heart attacks, strokes, and kidney failure. And then you want to try and manage that. That's too expensive. And the game's almost over. And so from that perspective, we have to swallow the bitter pearl that it's not going to be an easy ride. And a government needs to realize you cannot afford to manage everything. You're going to have to concentrate on a few things. Not many people know it, but we've got one of the highest healthcare spends per GDP Mm, in mm, the world. mm. In the top 10. Oh, yes. In the top 10. And yet, look at the state of our health. And so from that perspective, it's not about throwing more money at it. It's about 
getting the money to be used cleverly. To an extent, what you are saying then, sorry, Dr. Banner, is that we need to reconfigure the state's priorities. We need to reconfigure where the state should be not necessarily spending more money, but paying more attention from all the public health intervention measures to which you made reference to earlier on and make sure to a certain point there are no compromises or there are at least minimum achievable levels from which we do not deviate as a nation. The question then becomes how much of that, everything that you've lamented, actually more than it is a health concern is just purely a poverty issue? Definitely. I mean, uh, we're in a cycle of poverty. Now, again, if you look at it, Certainly, I remember from my nursery school days where I was given a meal. And a lot of South Africans rely on receiving a meal from either an NGO or from government at school. Mm. Mm. Those meals can be better balanced. You know, years ago, you walked past a construction site. There was bread, machewu. We're talking about 30, 40 years ago. I'm giving my age away. Yeah. <laughs> what do we see now? We see a cool drink and white fat cooks. Okay. And this is all now high glycemic index food, carbohydrate dense food. And so what we should be doing is bringing the price one way or the other of one or two important proteins down. Subsidize that. Tax the sugar, tax the salt, and subsidize so the protein content goes up. You get healthier fat in, lower carbohydrate, so make that easily available even to the poor. How is it that France, every now and then, can dump 2 million liters, 20 million liters of milk in the ocean to stabilize prices. The farmers are subsidized to make sure that certain produce, certain food is going to be made available to the populace. And that's what it's about. But it's not about handouts. You see, we easily give. Uh, we've got a government that is excellent at handing out handouts. But I'm not saying stop it. I'm just saying there are better ways of implementing it and get a better and a bigger goal that you're looking forward to, rather than looking at short-term, weekly, monthly issues. And so that's what we should be doing. You either take the chicken industry, you take the piggering industry, you take uh, uh, the lentil industry, something where there's protein, and get a subsidized program, reward the farmers for producing these things, subsidize the price, make sure it's on everybody's table, and that's where you start. Because if you don't have at least one healthy meal a day for the majority of the children out there, you're starting off on a back foot. My guest is Dr. Sandeep Bana, head of endocrinology at Chris Hani Baragwanath Hospital. The basis of the conversation was World Thyroid Day taking place on Wednesday, the 25th of May coincides with Africa Day. But I think the importance of that conversation and the value of that conversation needs to be seen, read, understood, and heard in the broader context of health, healthcare, public health in particular in the country, and some of the challenges that create for this discrepancy of high spend 
and next to nothing in terms of a return. So whilst the conversation is about thyroidism generally, I think what you say is very relevant to of and about thyroidism, Doc. So shall we just stick to this conversation in the general context of the challenges in public health care in this country? Do we have... I, I accept everything you say because I think food security is the bedrock of a healthy nation. Food security and the type of food particularly, and I take nothing away from what you say, which is clearly researched. The distribution of food from a food security perspective is just an important conversation, as is the conversation of distribution of healthcare services. We know mm -hmm. where the disease is. Disease normally follows poverty. And we know where the disease is because it is where the poverty is because we know where the poverty is. And in relation to the high public health care spend, how much of it really should be going or, to, or, to, or how perhaps should we look to redistribute these resources into go, going into one, primary health care, one, and two, the aspects of primary health care that are associated with preventative health care especially where the disease is, especially where the poverty is, because I think that might just be the panacea from what I know, from what I've heard you say, and generally from what I've read and what seems to be logical. Let's go to where the disease is. Let's go to where the poverty is, and let's have high intensive primary health care and preventative health care systems in place. What would this do for the national outcome for our health reading as a nation? All right, so in my mind, this is, this is one of the huge problems we have in South Africa. Let me start off by saying that if we had, instead of having a national health budget, a provincial health budget, local municipality health budget, that's where the problem is. If I look at it, the person in the local clinic is answerable to a different boss than the person working in a secondary-level hospital or a tertiary-level hospital. Mm. And so if this was managed centrally, from that perspective, I think the right hand would know what the left hand is doing. And we would work towards one goal. The problem at the moment is we keep chasing our tail. We're chasing our HIV tail. We're chasing our TB tail. We're chasing the tail of diabetes. It's too late. We need to be concentrating and accepting that there are few faults in the system. It's done. How do we prevent the next generation from having the same issue? Now, one of the issues I, I see is that South Africa tends to want to reinvent the wheel. We want to do things differently. I mean, let's just look at it this way. There was a time where we used to export wheat. Now we are net importers of it. So we've still got the same soil. There's still the same know-how. What's going wrong? Why aren't the farmers incentivized? The rest of the world is doing it. Instead of paying bailouts to the SOEs, this is where we're supposed to be creating a subsidized program. Because if the farmer, doesn't matter which color or creed, how tall, short, male, female, if the farmer is empowered 
and we're producing the right foods and we're distributing it across, it brings the cost down. The minute we're having to import something, that's where the problem is. Okay? People hmm. are going to frown upon India now. Ukraine, there's a war. They supply a lot of the world with wheat. So, of course, there's going to be a shortfall. India, that used to import it in the 70s, is now a net exporter. Straight away, government put in legislation overnight. It didn't take them 400 years to come up with it. They just said overnight, there's a ban on wheat leaving India. Why? Because they know the prices internally are going to rocket, the poor are going to suffer. That's it. We're banning exports. Doesn't matter what the contracts were signed at, finish. It's for the local. Now, it might seem drastic and unfair to the rest of the world, but that's what they've done for the nation because it was the poor that were going to suffer because prices were going to go up, wheat was going to leave. And so from that perspective, why are we having less chicken hatcheries in the country? Why is there a diminishing uh, sheep industry? Why is our maize crops going down? We've got some of the best farming land here. Of course, it's a water-scarce uh, country. The other issue in terms of water and sanitation, water and sanitation is central to health as well. We have one little disaster. I mean, America, and I'm not trying to compare it mm-hmm. directly to America, but they're having natural disasters every year cycle, after year, every year whether yeah. it's a tornado or whether it's a hurricane or, or whatever. Mm. We, we get hit with one little flood, and I'm telling you the problem is still going to come in the next uh, two, three months with E. coli sepsis, gastric issues, typhoid issues. Now, we, we need to get the simple things right. Let's not wait for the problem to happen and then sit meeting after meeting, three months, six months, a year down the line to say, how are we going to pass the budget to sort something out? Mm. You know, and uh, we need to become a bit more proactive, and that's the thing. And so, from that perspective, water, sanitation, education at school, food security that's where it starts. Somebody getting a 350 rand subsidy ain't going to change anything. It's not going to buy you a healthy plate of food, it's not going to buy you a healthy plate of food. So, it's we're plugging the small gaps, and that's where the issue is. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better, man. Sandeep, thank you very, very much for your time. I appreciate the fact that you pulled no punches in your assessment of things, and I think it's what many South Africans, certainly at the dinner table, who might be this way inclined to speak, have as conversations. You just brought the necessary eloquence and scientific basis upon which we can then take this conversation to a new level and, of course, hold that much more accountable our leaders in public and private spaces for the purposes of really changing the national landscape as it pertains to our health reading because an unhealthy nation, everybody's a loser. It is simply that simple. 2133.